I'm Lauren Dimmitt Waters. I'm a New York City-based blogger and influencer who has been covering beauty, fashion, and lifestyle for what seems like forever. But now I'm a woman in midlife who wants to discover all the secrets to growing younger. I'm ready to explore topics that deal with health and anti-aging, especially when it comes to beauty, fashion, wellness, and longevity. I'll unearth what works and what you shouldn't waste your money on. Even if it's crazy, I'll hunt down the latest and greatest to help us all get through this journey called life with a little humor and a lot of attitude. I want to keep fighting the fight so we can all grow old ungracefully. So welcome to Beauty is a Bitch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Beauty is a Bitch. My guest today is Nancy Shanker. She is a marketing innovator, brand builder, writer, speaker, and self-proclaimed rule breaker, which I love. She is over 60 and likes to say I have dual citizenship in the analog and digital worlds. She is a brand growth consultant and content strategist writer. She established her own business on Switch in 2003. She is a champion of cross-generational collaboration and was the author of the Thrive Global column, The Silver Hair Playbook, How to Be a Badass at Over 50. Um, Over the course of her 40-year business and marketing career, she has been a C-level executive at major consumer and business brands like Citibank, MasterCard, Reed Exhibitions, and an entrepreneur and founder, boy, there's so much here, and founder and a mentor to hundreds of small business professionals at all stages. She has written six books and publishes an AI machine learning robotic site, Embrace the Machine, and travel and lifestyle site, Be Leisure Living. She's also a member of the Forbes Agency Council and Rolling Stone Culture Culture Council and a writer and, a, and wrote a column, excuse me, for Inc. called Bots and Bodies. So we are going to talk today about professional and personal reboots in midlife. How are you doing today, Nancy? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Well, thanks for being here. We actually met in a group for women in midlife and uh, we've actually talked on the phone before. We have, we have. And it's funny, when you were reading my bio, I was actually thinking whether technically I'm in midlife or I'm now in late life. I just turned 66 in February. So I'm closer to 70 than I am to 60, but I certainly don't feel it. Well, there you go. I think it's, I think it's all mind over matter anyway. And I think you're the age that you feel and, and, you know, it's all in your mind anyway. I mean, well, some of it isn't, but you know what I'm saying? We're as, we're as old as we feel. Exactly. Right. So I wanted to ask you, and like in brief, what have you been up to for the past six decades? <laughs> like, just give us a little bit of each decade. How's that? Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I often think about that, that, you know, my elementary school, junior high school, high school years were just, you know, confusion, partying, socializing, <laughs> um, figuring it all out. And then graduating college is the career formation years where, you really think the job you're going to take right out of school is the career you're going to have for the rest of your life. And then like most of my friends and, you know, we were a unique generation, women who grew up in the Susie homemaker era and then began our careers in the big shoulder pads, big career era. It was an interesting transition, but there was always sort of that conflict between wanting to have a big job and wanting all the Barbie queen of the prom stuff. So 20s and 30s for me were both about, you know, finding a husband, 
getting having a mortgage, having kids, having like the happy happily ever after girly fantasy life. But at the same time, I ended up working in financial services for major brand companies, and I had this ungodly commute, mm-hmm. um, three hours round trip. Um, and as I said, you know, doing the big corporate executive thing while raising two daughters um, and trying to keep it all together. And then in the 40s, I finally hit the C-suite, which was the holy grail back then, was to play with the big boys in the corner office. And I realized that I didn't really enjoy it and that I had spent most of my adult life doing stuff just for money and prestige as opposed to really pursuing my passion. So at 48, I, I call it a planned suicide. I left corporate <laughs> life, started my own consulting firm in 2003, was able to spend a little bit more time with um, my younger daughter, who was still, I guess, in middle school back then, mm-hmm. um, but became a, fa- a late life founder. And then in my um, 50s, um, got divorced, moved cross country, actually moved cross country in my early 60s. But um, I do think that you use the term reboot. I do think that we are the first generation of women who are going to live to be 100. And instead of leading just one life, one professional life, one personal life, we're going to have many reinventions along the way. And I'm really looking forward to what my late 60s are going to bring and my 70s. And now that the pandemic is on the wane, I'm going to be doing a lot more traveling. Right. Um, I'm going through my, I'm going to take my gap year that I never really got to take when I graduated college. <laughs> and go travel the world, backpack, right? Well, maybe not a backpack. I'm I know. Like four-star hotel glamping kind of girl. But yes, that's the plan. Hey, I love that. Now you're speaking my language. So when you say, quote unquote, pre-retirement, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I call it pre-retirement because... Oh, retirement. Okay, I like Retirement. I'm definitely not ready to retire. I love what I do. Um, I finally have figured out a way to make a living writing and speaking mm-hmm. and doing strategic consulting when I choose to do it. Um, but the operative words there are when I choose to do it. Like Mm -hmm. I'm at a point in my life now where I can get most of my work done. Don't tell my clients. I can get most of my work done between five in the morning and 12. And then I have the rest of the day to do whatever I want to do. Do errands, go to the gym, get my hair done, um, travel. So um, I don't think I will ever stop working ever, but I will give myself permission to take as they say in the corporate world, PTO, without asking anybody's permission to do it. I like that. So you're able to kind of do both in a single, how did you master that? I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, oh. Well, it's, you know, get, I did my time in corporate life. Right. And I have corporate clients now. Um, and even though everybody is working, or most people are working remotely, there's still, you know, X number of hours a day where you're expected to be on Zoom or you're expected to participate in meetings. I keep meetings to an absolute minimum. Um, I have, even though I have a free form life, I do have a pretty regimented schedule where, you know, I just get up super early in the morning Mm -hmm. um, and get done the things that I have to get done. And the carrot on the stick is 
having free time when I get my work done. So it's no different from, you know, being a kid and having grade school homework and the faster and the better you get your homework done, the more time you have in the evening to ride your bike or watch TV. So you live by the rule, uh, work smarter, not harder. Exactly. I really try to take Fridays off whenever I can. Mm. I don't schedule meetings on Fridays. Um, I usually allow myself one day a week. That's like a total slothful personal care day. And I do think that if you're efficient, if you choose the right kinds of clients, the right kinds of work, you learn how to say no to things that really aren't, you know, my, my rule is if you're not learning something, helping someone, um, having fun, then it may not, or making money, it may not really be worth doing at the end of the day. So how do you get yourself out of that a predicament like that, where you, you can see something is going to be like a time suck or a waste of time? How do you get out of it? Um, you just politely but firmly say, you know, I'm sorry, that's not really a strategic fit for me right now, or I'm busy okay. with other things that I just don't have the bandwidth to do that. You know, women generally are people pleasers. Mm-hmm. So we feel compelled to do things, you know, a line that I use a lot lately, you know, sometimes I'll get invited to attend a group activity or do something that I'm just not feeling. And I'll just say, you know, I'm sorry, that's not my jam, or I'm not feeling it right now. And um, you'll, you'd be amazed at, you know, the power that you start to feel when you say no to more things. Um, And, there are things where, you know, I'll be on the fence. I'll say, well, you can't, if you keep saying no to everything, then you don't find those kismetian opportunities, but you go with your gut. You know, I think now I trust my gut more than I ever have in my life. And my mother lived to be 95 and she was really a great role model because um, she was very good at saying no. And, you know, living her life, you know, between her 60s and her 90s on her own terms. I love that. So you had a great role model for saying no in a polite way. Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I've adapted it to my own style. Um, I always try to say, even though my daughters are grown, I try to say yes to them as often as I can, because it's not like I'm going to spoil them at this stage. (laughs) They're grown women. Um, and when they ask me for stuff, I know it's usually because they need it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a really it's been a really interesting decade for me because, and people had said that to me, and I didn't really get it until I got to this stage where I am just so much more comfortable in my own skin than I have ever been in my life. Wow, that's amazing. So you're even like for women in their forties. In 50s, you're saying it gets even better? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing that is very tempting and you have to, like, fight against the peer pressure is we need to embrace our aging. And especially living in Scottsdale, I see all of these women with fake body parts who are killing themselves to stay stick skinny. Mm -hmm. And And social media has created this culture Um, where everybody feels like they've got to be perfect and they've got to live these perfect lives. 
And I joke around that I have my social media life and I have my real life. Well, I think we all do. I mean, it's cra- I try to be as real as possible because I, God forbid somebody sees me walking down the street and doesn't recognize me <laughs> because I haven't filtered, because I feel, you know, I don't, I'm not filtered in real life. Exactly. Exactly. And I think we all need to be comfortable. We do. Um, living without that filter and women can be our, the harshest critics to other women and apply that pressure. And we just have to stop doing that. And, band together to all learn how to age better because there is no, you know, my column, the silver hair playbook is really all about how do we make those new rules? Because these rules don't exist. Well, yeah. Nobody told me what I was supposed to do after my corporate career ended and I ended up single again. You know, there is no, there is no path for that. There are no mentors for that. So I'm coming to realize that maybe I am the mentor. Which exactly. Is, you can take that leadership mentor role. Yeah, which, I, which I've been doing. I actually just started writing a, a column on Substack about dating after 50, which will probably- I saw, I saw that. I saw one of them. I read it. Yeah, it'll, it'll make me permanently undateable, but um, everybody <laughs> will be afraid that they'll wind up in the column. But it's really not about that. It's about giving guidance and tips and hopes to people who- are just back in the dating game and have no clue what they're doing. Well, yeah, especially now that there's like apps and, you know, there's all these things now. I'm sure if you, you know, spent the majority of your adult years to this point married, now there's apps and there's all this other, it's just crazy. It must be just- I mean, not to digress, but I was just telling a girlfriend this story. She was hysterical laughing that I had a Zoom date with a guy and he'd been married for over 30 years and he was so- comfortable doing what he does that in the middle of the zoom date he starts moisturizing his legs what yeah because it was (laughs) something that he probably would have done you know it's like going to the bathroom in front of your spouse you know when you've been married a long time you just have habits but you know what you have to realize is when you're going back into the dating world you have to you have to learn how to woo again and uh, <laughs> it was it was crazy. I had to like definitely do a double take. I was thrilled that he was that comfortable with me, but it was it was gross. Wait, wait. I'm I'm still stuck on the fact that you had a Zoom date. That there are dates on Zoom. Unbelievable. Who yeah. pays? Who pays? Who pays? No, just oh, kidding. Have... <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, it's actually, men can save a lot of money that way. But it's a good, it's a good pre-screener if you of want course. to just see somebody three-dimensionally. And as I said in an interview that I'd given about dating after fifty, it also uh, dating during the pandemic. It also gives you an opportunity to see somebody's taste because you can see the inside of their apartment or their house. Whereas if you were dating in real life, it might be the fifth or sixth date before you feel comfortable enough going into their home. That's a really good point. I didn't think of that. That's good. Cause God only knows on zooms. I'm like looking like what people's books are, you know, what they're exactly, reading. exactly. It's, 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 it's great for, you know, people who are inquisitive or nosy or into interior design. I love it. Okay. So I understand you're writing a blog series called route 66. What's that all about? Yeah. When I started approaching 66, um, 
it, hap it happened at an interesting time. My mother had just passed away. My second daughter, had, my younger daughter had just gotten married. And I realized that there was absolutely nothing keeping me in one place. Uh -huh. um, when I told a, a friend of mine from New York that I was moving into an apartment, was going to use that as a home base, and I was going to travel, she said, oh, that, does that mean you're homeless now? Mm -hmm. As if I were like sleeping in a cardboard box on the street. But I do think that we as um, empty nest adults now have the flexibility to live anywhere or nowhere. Right. Um, and it's a, it's a unique opportunity to sort of shed all of the preconceptions about what does a home mean? What does a place of business really mean? And I often joke around that my home and my office are wherever my laptop and my phone are because I can work from anywhere. I just booked a one-way ticket back to the East Coast and people ask me when I'm coming back. And all I say is, I am coming back. I just don't know when. I mean, I'll have to be back. I was called for jury duty, so I guess I have to be back oh, yeah. on that date. But other than that, this is the first time in my life where I really have not had to be anywhere, which is both freaky and a great feeling, and hence Route 66. Not that I'm literally going to travel Route 66, but... <laughs> but it, it, it lends itself. But I like that because you're talking about travel and 66 has, has a double meaning. That's exactly. Right. I'm, glad you, I'm glad you appreciated the nuance. Somebody I, would, took it very literally and said, oh, so like, where are you stopping along Route 66? I'm like, uh, I'm not. Hello. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I got it. That's, I think it's great. So what, what are other things that you're going to, like, what are some of the topics that you would just like write about on that? Just. Well, this month, my theme is entertainment because of the Oscars. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to be writing about how media has shaped some, something we were just talking about, how media has shaped our perceptions. Mm -hmm. And as we age, how to, maintain your self-confidence and your balance when you do have all of this media pressure out there. Um, and you then know, I really thought that it would get better. Well, you know, with, for women aging, you know, because of like just time passing and where we are, it's 2022, but then you, you look at it and it's actually getting worse with all of these, all of the like social media pressure and, just, you know, you can be seen at any moment, any time. It's just, it's just coming at you from every direction these days. Yeah. And I think we're living in a very youth centric culture. Yes, we are. Um, and so there is this compulsion to post on Insta and dance on TikTok and, you know, sort of keep up with the younger Joneses, the Jonies and the Joneses. And, yeah. um, we have a unique opportunity as older, wiser women to say, stop the madness. We're not going to play this game. Um, yeah. But what's interesting is in the anti-ageism movement, um, there are lots of women forming groups and writing books and writing columns. And instead of us all collaborating, and saying, how can we change the conversation? How can we band together? I call it the second feminist movement. 
Okay. Because older women should be supporting each other to change perceptions. And I've found that a lot of women compete against each other in this space. As yeah, if we're, yes, yes. As if we're playing some weird, you know, aging Super Bowl. And I'm like, you know what? We're all going to get old and die. So what is really the prize at the end of the day? Exactly, exactly. I, I, yeah, I, I, I concur with you on this point 100%. Yeah. Because and I feel like we should all be banding together and making our voices heard. And you're, it does seem a little bit like a competition, which, which floors me. Absolutely yeah. floors me. Yeah. In fact, I spoke to a man who's involved in the anti-ageism movement. And he said, are you one of those old, bitter women who's going to tell me everything I'm doing wrong? And it may actually made me think a little bit about the feminist movement. I'd like to think of myself as the Gloria Steinem of the anti-ageism movement, where I'm using media, I'm using my sense of humor, I'm um, trying not to be overly strident, but right. there are a lot of older women who are, you know, irate and cranky and outspoken, and that's fine, but it can be more of a turnoff. Yeah, it's very, I, I find it to be isolating, quite frankly. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's a turnoff. Because who wants to listen to that old school mom who's going to lecture you? Well, like, yeah, they're, they're branded Karens, and nobody wants to be a Karen. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, the at least I don't. <laughs> I have moments of being a Karen, but I try to stifle those as much as possible. Yeah, I would much rather be the cool mom who, you know, exactly. says, you know, don't fear aging. It can be great. Don't um, cave to all this societal pressure to get your face done and your boobs done. Yeah. I, well, uh, yeah. I mean, I think if you're doing, I think if you're doing it for the right reasons, which is like for yourself, um, that's different. I, I, it's, you know, to me, it, it seems like it's, there's a lot more to it than just what's going on on your face and your body, but like what we're putting inside our bodies, the way we think, the way we exercise just to live longer and better. My, my goal is, women and men live longer lives, but better lives. Exactly. Healthier, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that is the mental component and a lot is just being thrown at us with, as I said, like social media, like, you know, and then you have these companies that are marketing towards these, to these insecurities and taking advantage of that and exploiting them. Exactly. Which... There's another point, another bone of contention, but that's for another day. But I, but kind of related to this, I know you have strong feelings about fashion, behaviors, and work, you know, work after 60. What are, what are some of these philosophies that you have? I mean, I think you're seeing fewer articles about things not to wear after 40 or after 50. I think it's a very personal decision. Um, I'm really comfortable wearing um, my, what I call my bohemian chic clothes. I'm just comfortable in boots and jeans and leggings and big free people tunics and t-shirts. And in fact, I just bought a bunch of overalls, which are great because they're, you know, channeling back to my 60s and 70s, but 
they're much more expensive. I'm not buying them at the Army Navy store anymore. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think you have to go with what you're comfortable in and what your body can, what your you, your body looks good in and what you feel good in. Um, well, then don't you think it becomes more, this is what I've been saying, I, you know, because I was so fashion centric. I was that person writing what you shouldn't be wearing and should be wearing, you know, after 40. And I still write it, but I write it in a way like wear whatever you want. Like these exactly. are some guidelines, but like, as long as you feel comfortable and you look in the mirror and you like what you see and you feel good. But if you have that voice in your head that says, eh, I don't know about this, then trust it. Trust that gut feeling. Yeah. You know? I mean, sometimes I'll put something on and if, you know, there's somebody around or if not, I'll just take a, a picture and send it and say, you know, do I look too much like, you know, whatever happened to baby Jane? I don't know if you remember <laughs> that. Way, you know, Absolutely. the ingenue. And I, I do know women like that who are still dressing in a way that, you know, almost infantilizes them. Right. Um, but um, if, if they like that look, you know, who am I to judge somebody hey, else's? That's what I say. I'm like, own it, own it. If you're going to yeah, wear just it. Don't have lipstick on your, on your teeth or kale stuck in your mouth. Like, yep. 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 Short of that, anything goes. Anything goes. That's what I say. It's so funny because I used to be so, rigid it's it's wild to me i've just become yeah, I mean, so remember much... you weren't supposed to wear white after labor day and yeah you know, when i was going to school to to junior high school we couldn't wear pants to school in really cold days we were allowed to wear pants but we had to put a skirt over the pants so you know <laughs> it's a look now it's a look back to the silver hair playbook <laughs> we are defining what appropriate fashion is i agree for women our age. And uh, um, actually, I just wrote an article about this for Society of Saleswomen, um, that a guy can still get away with wearing a hoodie and a t-shirt and be considered innovative. But if I walked into a meeting wearing a hoodie and a t-shirt, people might assume that I was just a slop. So I do <laughs> think we also need to um, look across gender and say what is acceptable fashion and the rules should theoretically be the same for men and women. Theoretically, yes. Theoretically. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. They're just, they're just not, you know. No, but we were the original yeah. generation of anarchists back in the 60s and 70s. So yeah. um, I do think that sometimes as women get older or as people get older, not just women, they feel like they don't have a voice anymore. And that's why we do really need to band together to raise awareness, to, to share that voice. Yeah. Well, collectively we can be heard, you know? Yeah. yeah. I just gave a presentation last week at a business conference and I was pulling up stock art that is in, you know, the main stock libraries representing older adults Mm -hmm. And there was like a guy in a scooter, you know, in the office. And I'm like, I don't ride a scooter. <laughs> I don't wear Depends. Like, I don't plan why, to. Right, right, right. You right. know, why, why are all older people being portrayed? I don't have those weird granny glasses. Like, I am that age. And you can't just take everybody over a certain age and stereotype them. You wouldn't do that for ethnic groups. 
No, so I know. Okay I know. Okay to do it for older adults. That's why I've 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 been saying that ageism is the last acceptable form of discrimination. Yeah, I'm starting to see more and more on LinkedIn about um, intergenerational collaboration, the anti-ageism movement. So I really am hoping Me too. that at some point companies will be held accountable. Um, what percent yeah. of your workforce is over the age of 50? And does your workforce reflect the demographics of the people you're marketing to? Well, I mean, look at our presidents. They're, they're old. I mean, why can't, you know, it, it, it floors me. Why, you know, and you just don't see now, you know, there's a lot of, lot of people that once they hit their 60s and 70s, they're scared for their jobs. But yet you can still be the president. Go figure. Exactly. Unless you're a woman. In Unless you're case. Well, yeah, that's true. Although Hillary's going to probably go for another shot at it. So you just don't know. Yeah. Um, wh- what advice would you give to women in their 20s and 30s? Um, to chill out. First and foremost, you know, I think that in my 20s and my 30s, and I have two daughters, one in her 20s, one in her 30s. Um, my 30-year, 30 30-something 30 is definitely more mellow now because she's got two kids and realizes, realizes she can't control everything in life. Um, but I was, back to me, I was pretty stressed out in my 20s, worrying about my career, worrying about whether I was ever going to get married, worrying about money. Um, and stress will really may not kill you, but it'll definitely take its toll on your health. For sure. Um, I would say that they should, and this is obviously pie in the sky, but listen and learn from people with more experience than they have and believe them when they say, you know, it will be all right. It's a, it's like a bizarre board game, like shoots and ladders where, you know, you'll be at the top and then you'll be at the bottom and it's okay because you always end up usually end up in a good place. Um, And what I always tell young women when they're starting out in their careers and young men too, is to try different things on for size. You know, you're not making a decision that's going to govern the rest of your life. Um, But you should, you know, I don't have any regrets in my life, but I do feel like I spent a lot of time doing work that I didn't love because the money was really good. And I don't regret it because it afforded my household a better quality of life. Mm -hmm. But um, I was pretty stressed out trying to do it all, Um, which is the other thing is that, you know, especially for women, you can't really do it all. So at any point in time, just pick one thing you want to do really well and excel at that thing. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, it's funny you bring that up, and you, I was thinking when you were talking about it. You know, like my first job out of college, and my jobs in my twenties and my thirties. I, I felt like my career was happening to me, and I wasn't like I wasn't a willing participant. Like I was a willing. I mean, it just kind of happened, and I didn't really have a lot of say. I just kind of moved with where my career was taking me instead of being the the you know the driver of the car, basically. Yeah, and I do think that this next generation, almost maybe too much so, is very quick to walk out the door if something isn't serving them. Yes. Um, but I think there's a middle ground in there mm-hmm. is to say, I remember telling my 
younger daughter when she first started working and she was having a bad day. I said, oh, nobody told you your first job out of school is supposed to suck 80% of the time. Like, yep. because mm -hmm. you're learning and you're figuring it out and you don't really master corporate life until you're probably in your 30s, you know, if that. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a journey. I hate that word, but it really is. As I said, it's like a wacky board game that, you know, the rules are missing from the box and yeah, yeah. maybe you're missing a, 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 piece, a piece or two, but you know, you're figuring it out as you go. You know, it's funny. That reminds me, I've had some kids and I say kids cause these are literally children say to me, you know, when I grow up, I want to be an, inf I'm going to be an influencer. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's a career choice. I'm like, you know, but, but they see these examples. My kids go on TikTok and they see these, you know, so I've had other children say that to me because, you know, they know I'm an influencer and they think it's pretty funny. I mean, they think it's a career choice. I'm like, well, but you got to have something to say. You have to have some point of view on something to be successful. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I do think that the influencer bubble is eventually going to burst because so. companies will just run out of money to pay people to promote yeah. their products. And that's clearly an area. I mean, the, the, the more um, tuned in companies are realizing that women around our age can also be really powerful influencers and not just for things like yes. Depends mm -hmm. or... Yep. Um, I'm, I've been pushing back a lot on that. That's something, you know, as, you know, an influencer, God, I hate, I hate that term. I, <laughs> well, I um, use the term quinfluencer, which is a quality influencer. Where, I like that much better. I yes, like that. I will, I will license that term to you. Okay. But, I'm going to uh, borrow that. I'm going to um, borrow that. Yeah. But I do think that sometimes, um, big brands are missing out on a huge opportunity. For example, Absolutely. I drink, my latest drink of choice is spiked seltzer because uh -huh. it's low in, relatively low in calories, relatively low in alcohol, less filling than beer. But most of the spiked seltzer advertising is geared to millennials. Absolutely. And I think they missed a huge opportunity, like even in the Sex and the City reboot, which I'm not a big fan of, but... You know, they could have done something where, you know, Carrie and her buddies were drinking Spike Seltzer instead of Cosmos as a sign of the times. Um, yeah. Wasn't Miranda hiding t little bottles of Tito's in her? Yeah. She was, you know, drinking the kind of liquor that, you know, the stereotype is that older women will do that. Okay, wait, let's let's just talk about that briefly before we, because we're kind of done anyway. But now that you brought up the Sex and the City reboot, <laughs> which I love talking about because personally I found it awful. But as as did I. Okay, it was, it was beyond cringeworthy, wasn't it? I was cringing the whole time. I was. I like, mean, Steve seriously? not being able to hear. Oh. Um, Although I know. did find out he really is going. That's that's true. That is a part of his life. I know, but they like right. poke fun at him as yeah, opposed I agree. to it wasn't like, you know, that Oscar nominated film Coda about what it's really like to live right. deaf. Right. It right. was a stereotype yep. of the old cranky deaf guy. And he's in and, his fifties. Yeah, and Miranda not knowing that you could read books on a Kindle and 
Oh. It, it just like every single, and I kept watching it like, like it was like really like a car wreck. You know, I kept watching it thinking it would get better. Like, I'm like, it's got to get better. And it didn't. And then I just, it was like sort of an, to me, it was like a project. Like I had to watch it because I just couldn't believe what I was saying. It was I'm like, glad, I'm glad to hear that because I've talked to other women who are like, oh my God, that show is so great. Really? Yeah. Oh, I've, I've, well, I think, yeah. I mean, there are bits and pieces of it. I think every, after everybody got over the, the shock of what happens in the first episode and we're so upset about it, then I was just like, okay, but if you look at this, it's just, I, you know what? It was written, to me, it was written by somebody that clearly does not like women and particularly does not like middle-aged women. That's how it, that's how it resonated with me. Well, I don't think whoever wrote it, I don't think they liked middle-aged men very much either. Like, right. um, you know, what's his name is like a stereotype of the aging gay guy lusting after young, hot men and, Oh, Mario um, Catone's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, every character, I joked around that the reason why Big had a heart attack is so we wouldn't have to be on the show. <laughs> I, I would have done the same thing if I was, I think Samantha and, and Big had the right idea, like, get me the hell out of here. I do not want my face associated with this project. I know, I know. It's just, yeah, I agree. It was, it was, it's, really sad to me because now I wish that we had just left well enough alone and I could remember, like I could forgive the movies. Um, and I mean, the first one I went running and skipping, I was there the day it opened, you know? Um, but I was also younger. Uh, and I went to go see that and I was like, eh. At least the show the that I really were- love is um, Hacks because it really is about intergenerational collaboration among women. Okay. And, and neither of the characters that. is particularly likable or admirable, but the moral of the story is that they're both these lost souls, one right. young and the other older, and together they are able to find success because after the first few episodes where they can't stand each other, they're able to find this happy medium. Well, I'm going to have to watch that. I will. Oh, yeah. I've got I so many things right. on my list. So many things. I just, I just finished Euphoria. Oh my God. <laughs> I know it's on, it's on the list. I haven't started that yet. It's, it's fantastic. But if, as a mom to, you know, kids that are not yet in high school, it's totally terrifying. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> to put it mildly. I mean, well, having it, kids in high school in and of itself. Yes, it's terrifying. terrifying. It's yeah. all terrifying. But I mean, I watched that show and I'm telling all of my friends with kids, you know, in the, that demographic, that age group, like, you need to be watching this. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a great show. I mean, I, I will say it's beautifully writ- written, acted. Uh, the cinema photography is fantastic. It's, you know, it's good, but it's just scary. Yeah, and as long as you're, you know, a somewhat aware mother, you really do get a good handle on which kids in your kids' school are, you know, the good ones, which ones are the experimenters, and which ones are going to have to have their stomach pumped on prom night. Like, (laughs) I pretty much was able to call that, you know, just spending time around my daughter and her daughters and their friends. Well, that's also if you're like, 
in tune to that kind of stuff. If you're quote unquote, the cool mom, I mean, the cool mom now is not what the cool mom was when I was growing up. The cool mom now to me means like you were just aware of what's going on. Yeah, you know? that's exactly. I mean, you know, you're not, you're not going to be you're not going to be buying booze for your kid's party, but you're going to be well aware of what's happening. (laughs) Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to add sex in the city or excuse me? um, And just like that or otherwise, but Um, no, I mean, you know, for those of you who are interested, my blog is called bad girl, good biz blog.com. Right. I also repost my um, Route 66 posts on LinkedIn. So feel free to follow me on LinkedIn. And my dating column, I'm joking around that it's still kind of in stealth mode. I haven't really started aggressively marketing it yet because I'm still kind of uncomfortable. You know, you talk about like your business brand versus your personal brand. Right, and right, right. In February, I really pulled the bandaid off and said, all right, I'm going to take a page from all of these influencers and personal brands. And I'm just going to put it all out there, raw, unfiltered, uncut. I love so, it. I think it's great. I love that. Thank you. No, I think you should be raw and unfiltered. And you know, like that's what, that's what people relate to. I think. Yeah. I mean, I've always been pretty raw and unfiltered when it comes to my philosophies of business. Right. But this is the first time that I've thrown myself Mm -hmm. into my content, but so far feedback has been good. So um, I'll just keep doing it until somebody tells me to stop. Like my daughter's. (laughs) Ma, you're embarrassing me. Why are you putting this stuff out there? Oh, I live like that all the time. All the time. I live to embarrass my children, though. Okay, good. Well, we should start the Embarrassing Moms Club. Oh, yeah. I think it makes them stronger. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was pretty embarrassed of my mother most of the time growing up. So maybe it's a good thing. You know, it's funny. I was in certain ways, and I was super proud of her and others. And now that I look back on it, I'm pretty, you know, pretty proud, even the stuff that embarrassed me back then, you know, yeah. but I could, I could see when my kids get embarrassed and I'll be like, am I embarrassing you? And they're like, yes. And sometimes, I know. I, you know, tone when it I was down. A kid, I wanted nothing more from my mom to have like a bouffant hairdo and look like the other 1960s moms. And she right. had a braid and she didn't wear makeup. Um, and she was not a typical mother, but as a grown-ass woman, I look back and say, she taught me one of the most valuable lessons of my life, which is you can be your own person. And the reward is you get to live to be 95 or 100. So sounds Yeah, and you live authentically, which is, I think. Yeah, exactly. Live live your truth. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad we got a chance to do this. Me too. I've wanted to do it. We've been trying to do this for a while. But now, you know, now that life gets in the way, because life we gets all in have, the way, it does. As, and then, as women, we all have four or five jobs at any one time. So and we know. only get paid for one of them if we're lucky. If we're lucky. Thank you so much. I, right, I really, thank you. Have I really a great afternoon. You too. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out a lot. I have a new pro aging podcast bi weekly, so please contact Lauren at fountainof30.com for sponsorship opportunities. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Thanks, Nancy, for being here. And remember, you don't have to do it all and work 
smarter, not harder. Until next time, everyone. Thank you. 